Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is your host, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal, whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with other editorial board members. We hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. This week, we're going to replay an episode from our first season to help us celebrate our Native and Indigenous Voices collection. Please enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Christina Severinsen and Angelique Ruetti, authors of Connecting People, Well-Being, and Environment through Wakaama in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I am also joined by Cynthia Bigay, who is a Native researcher and has been involved in the Native and Indigenous Voices Collection from the start. Angelique, will you go ahead and get us started with a karakia? So in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we use karakia for many different occasions, such as opening ceremonial events for worship, to bless kai, or in this case, at the beginning of a task, to clear the way to begin our kōrero, to begin our discussion, to help us focus our minds and to settle our wairua, our spirits. And the particular karakia that we're going to use today was written by Tira Moriati, who's one of our te reo teachers at Te Putahia Toi, the School of Māori Knowledge at Massey University. And it's been specifically written around the concept of hauora, which is an indigenous perspective of health and well-being. So it starts by talking about hau in terms of this primal energy source of wind and how expansive wind is. And it links to te pō, this concept of potentiality, to te ao, which is about consciousness or coming into light. It talks about drawing hauora and well-being towards both the student and the learned and about hau that arises from the land and that descends from the sky. And it then closes everything together, reinforcing this concept of hau and how it contributes to our enlightenment. So I thought it could be a really beautiful karakia to start this podcast, which is all about Indigenous hauora, health and well-being. Me karakia tātou. Hau nui hauora, ka te pō, ka te ao. Iti kōrero, iti wānanga, hauora ki enei pūkenga, hauora ki enei tauira. He āpati nuku, he āpati rangi, ka tū kautaha te papa i tākoto nei, ka tū kautaha te rangi e tū nei, tuia i runga, tuia i raro, ka puta ki te whaiao, ki te ao marama, tihei mauri ora. Tēnā koe, Arden. Angelique, thank you so much. And with that, I want to learn a little bit more about you all. So Cynthia, can you go ahead and get us started by saying where you're calling in from and a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you, Arden and Esquilly Angelique for the karakia. Um, so hi everybody, my name is Cynthia Begay. I'm Hopi Sun Forehead Clan, born for the Mexican people. My maternal grandfather is Navajo from the Bitterwater Clan, and my paternal grandfather is from the Mexican people. I'm calling in today from Tongva Territory, also known as Los Angeles, California. And I'm actually here at the University of Southern California, literally, but also enrolled as a student. And I'll pass it on to Chrissy. Uh, kia ora, Cynthia. Kia ora koutou. Uh, tēnā koe ki te kai. Um... 
Pakahaide to Kopapa, Arden, Atina Kodua, Kinga Pukinga, Ko Cynthia, Kodua Ko Angelique, Ko Waio, no Iparaimaki, Waipukara, Ho, Hayoya, no Tipapa Oya, Ho, Inuhuana, Ko Tadrua, Timonga, Ko Kahutirawa, Te Awa, Ko Chrissy, Severance, and a Ho. He Pukinga Matua, he Kairanga Ho, Ho, Itakuda, Hawura Tangata. Ki te kuninga, ki pūri huroa. So kia ora everyone, I'm Chrissy Severinson. I'm from the School of Health Sciences at Massey University in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where I teach in the areas of public health, health promotion and mental health and addiction. Excellent. And Angelique, do you mind introducing yourself as well? O tēnā koutou katoa, kua hui mai nei ki tēnei hui hui nā. Um, it's great to be here with you all today. Ko waio, who am I? He uri tēnei nō Ngāpui, nō Ngāti Hineira te hapu, nō te tai tokorau ahau. He hono nā ki Ngāti Raukawa ki te tonga rawa ko Tainui hoki. Um, ko Angelique Reawati, uh, tōku ingo. So my name's Angelique and I'm from Aotearoa, New Zealand. My iwi is Ngāpui, based in the Bay of Islands, which is located at the top of the North Island. And I'm also married into Ngāti Raukawa ki te tonga, which is in the mid-central region of the North Island, and Tainui, which is also in the North Island. I'm currently working with the School of Māori Knowledge, Te Pūtahi Atoi at Massey University, and um, completing my doctorate in health sciences, focusing on social, cultural and health benefits of whānau-inspired initiatives. So really excited to be able to come here and to share a little bit, but also to learn from you all as well. Kia ora. Excellent. Thank you all for introducing yourselves. And the context of this episode is in regards to Health Promotion Practices' third annual Native and Indigenous Voices collection. And so, Cynthia, you've been part of this collection from the start. So can you tell me a little bit about the purpose of having a Native and Indigenous Voices collection and how it really got started? Sure. Thanks, Arden. Yeah, so about three years ago, actually, I can't believe it's been that long already, I had a chance to meet Dr. Kathleen Rowe, who's the chief editor for HPP at the APHA conference. And she has just been such an advocate and an ally for indigenous communities, really helped me publish my first first author paper in HPP. And so through that, she really wanted a chance to showcase native-led research. It's really important to her that it's native-led, native-centered or indigenous-centered. And one thing that we combat a lot in our communities is how to overcome any barriers to accessing this great research that we're doing for our communities and advocating. And one of those, unfortunately, is a pay barrier. So she was able to negotiate with SAGE to get, I think, the first year four articles for free. And since then has increased to six and maybe eight articles. But every Native American Heritage Month here in the States, that's November, we have an Indigenous Voices collection. Excellent. And thank you for being an advocate and really making this collection happen. And as you mentioned, there's this paywall that you're trying to get these papers in front of. So does this strategy work? And are you able to bring the papers to more readers this way? And how do we get the word out about these? Yeah, I think this has been really effective. You know, it is in its infancy. We're still very open to bringing partners on board to make sure we are partnering with the right folks as well to get the word out about not only how to access these papers, but I think it's really important for community ownership, community buy-in. And I would really love, you know, if the Indigenous community could see HPP as also a resource, you know, a place 
to publish their work as well. Publishing isn't always so kind to us. <laughs> it can be intimidating for young researchers like myself. So just, you know, having someone like Dr. Rowe and HPP, you know, supporting our work is really important. So I, I really see it as twofold is a way to get our research out there, but also, you know, to get our community familiar with HPP as well. So we can submit more of our work there. Definitely. And health promotion practice does a very intentional job of promoting these papers through Twitter and LinkedIn. And so what does it mean to you as a Native researcher to see the promotion and these results, as you've mentioned, um, not only for HPP to promote this information, but also for other Native researchers to see this as a resource and somewhere that they can go with their own research? I think it's really important. One of the strategies is through Twitter. Dr. Rowe has been really great at taking a look at those analytics to see how many retweets are we getting, how many mentions, how many unique downloads are we getting, and really showing Sage, you know, people want to see our research, people are interested, and so then that will get them, you know, more invested in investing our communities. So I think it has been really great and just really excited for the potential that's to come. Excellent. And as we narrow down on this specific paper today, I know, Cynthia, your paper on tobacco retail marketing in tribal lands was in the first collection, and you and I have had the opportunity to talk about it in previous episodes of this podcast. And Chrissy and Angelique, I understand that you have a paper in this year's collection, and that one is going to be what we're going to focus on today. So can you briefly describe the paper, maybe in just a few sentences? Kia ora, Arden. So we worked with a local waka amaroko or outrigger canoe club from Hiratanga in Aotearoa, which is on the east coast of the North Island. So waka ama is an increasingly popular sport in New Zealand, and we're really interested in how waka ama could be a vehicle for health promotions. So my brother-in-law is an avid kaihoi or paddler, and he often spoke about the really broad range of health benefits really from being involved in Wakaama. And so I guess we had a really amazing opportunity to talk and interview these paddlers about how they work together really to create a sense of collective well-being. So as part of our wider research, we filmed the paddlers often on the water and they shared their personal stories of their experiences of being involved in Wakaama and later, actually, we gifted that short film back to the group, which was pretty emotional time. Lots of tears and lots of laughter. So really special, I guess, on both sides, where for them sharing their stories and seeing them put together in the film. And also for us as researchers, as, you know, recipients and being trusted, really, with their knowledge and experiences. Um, so that short film is on YouTube for anyone to watch. And Arden, I'm sure you can post that in the show notes. And so for our article in HPP, the particular focus for that paper was around wilder or the spiritual connection between hauda or health and well-being and the environment for the paddlers. So the paddlers clearly told us how that works. So Wakaama is really centred in Te Ao Māori and the Māori world. It utilises Māori values and beliefs to improve the health of individual paddlers, them as a group, their whānau families and communities. And that was something, you know, those connections were really important for both Māori paddlers and for 
non-Māori paddlers. Angelique, do you want to add some things now? Kia ora. So what we found with the research was that there were really some core underlying values that associated with paddlers' involvements in Wakaama, and they were concepts of what we say, manaakitanga, haora, whanaunatanga, and tūtangata. So manaakitanga is this concept about caring for a person's mana, caring for a person through expressing your love, your generosity, and mutual respect. And it's about inclusivity, where everyone is made to feel welcome, no matter of their age, their gender, their background, or ability. And we really saw this in this wakaama, where it created this social cohesion within their wakaama community, and the sense of connectedness and well-being. And then when we think of hauora as an underlying value, hauora is this concept of well-being from a holistic view, where it's not just the physical benefits associated with, for example, with wakaama, but also the mental, the emotional and the spiritual well-being that paddlers spoke about, this ability to be able to connect with people and this ability to be able to connect with te taiao, with the environment, and how that really filled them up spiritually. We also saw this concept of whanaunatanga, which is about relationships and having a sense of connectedness to people and to place and to the environment. So the Wakaama Ropu really spoke about this key role of building relationships with each other and really feeling a sense of belonging, but also to the environment that they actually found their place in the environment. And even though for some of them, they'd lived in the region for quite a long time, it wasn't really until they got into the waka and started paddling and connecting with the awa, connecting with the water, that they really felt that connection to the space and the place that they were in. And the final value undercoring value is tūtangata, which is about standing up for values associated with wakaama and demonstrating integrity with both people and the environment. So we saw this with paddlers having this really increased awareness around their role as kaitiaki, as caretakers, alongside the mana whenua, the people of the land, and being active in protecting the waterways that it might be enjoyed for generations to come. So these were some of the core underlying values that we saw come out of this case study around wakaama. But really what drew us to it was too often with Indigenous health, it's talked about from a deficit perspective with negative stereotypes commonly associated with Indigenous health. And we really wanted to be able to disrupt that narrative and to shift the focus towards the ways in which public health and health promotion can be better informed through an enhanced understanding of the cultural concepts that make up an Indigenous worldview and notions of modi order and well-being. And so hopefully that's what we've achieved by spotlighting Waka Ama and is this amazing way in which Indigenous health and well-being can have such a broad-reaching and holistic impact. Kia ora. Really just total for that, Angelique, I think this research has really reminded us that it's not always that top-down kind of services, intervention-focused approaches that our communities benefit from the most. And rather, it really encourages us to think about how we draw on those rich resources of knowledge and expertise that are already within our local communities. So, you know, we saw Wakaama as a really positive example of health promotion within an Indigenous Māori context, where those Māori values and practices are really foundational to the everyday being.
So we know this, like we know that that's how it works, but I guess through our research and publication in HPP, we can contribute to that evidence base of what's effective Indigenous health promotion and as well, importantly, kind of bridge that gap between academia and local community action. Excellent. And considering this assets-based approach and really multifaceted understanding of well-being, can you talk more about how these values are incorporated into other public health programs and perhaps policies throughout New Zealand? Yeah, kia ora, Arden. Like Chrissy said, we all know that Māori have these values and these holistic approaches to health. And I think in Aotearoa, we're trying to implement that more into our policy. And we've just seen a new direction by our government here where we have what's called our Māori Health Authority, which is going to sit alongside our Health New Zealand. And this is really exciting for us because it's a way that we can draw on Te Tiriti o Waitangi, which is our founding framework here in New Zealand, and have true partnership where we have Māori and the Crown working together side by side and being able to really draw on what we call tinoranga teratanga or self-determination for Māori to begin deciding what it is that we see that health should look like for us and for the future of our country. And these are some of the core values that we've spoken about, these concepts of whanaunatanga, manaakitanga, so really about connections and drawing close to people, this collective approach. Also wairua, this underlying philosophy about our spirit, our spiritual nature that is really important when we're talking about health from an Indigenous perspective. And it's often missed from sometimes from a Western approach, where we often don't have this concept of wairua being drawn into policy and practice, but it's something that's becoming more and more of a reality as we start moving into some of these changes in health in Aotearoa, New Zealand, with this Māori Health Authority being set up. Excellent. And I understand that the use of these principles are not limited to New Zealand. As you mentioned, the Western perspective tends to miss this collective approach to health and well-being. And Cynthia, I was really excited to hear that one of your current projects involves working with Native folks in Los Angeles who do not have housing, and that you're finding that the Maori framework is really illuminating as you explore and document their experiences. So can you tell us about your current project? Sure, thank you. And I just kind of want to just start like as an Indigenous researcher here in the States, I feel like a lot of us really look to the Maori lens and ways of doing research and even just the relationship your communities have out there. And it really resonates with us over here. So one of the first books I read from an Indigenous perspective was Linda Smith's Decolonizing Methodologies, which is, you know, a staple in a lot of folks' libraries out here. So I just, we are blown away. So I'm really happy that we found this paper, but I'll start with the project that we were doing. So for about a year, I served as a community elected official for the Los Angeles Native American Commission. And through that, I worked with Dr. Andrea Garcia, and we had a project just focusing on people experiencing homelessness here in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, we are, even though numbers-wise, we are a pretty large community nationally here in LA, we are still pretty invisible. And unfortunately, our relatives who are experiencing homelessness out here, you know, what I feel kind of like an invisible, invisible community, it's just a lot of erasure out here. And so 
one thing we did was we did just 10 key informant interviews. We wanted to speak with some Native relatives out here who are experiencing homelessness just on, you know, do they consider themselves experiencing homelessness? What has the experience been like navigating the system out here to receive services? And the thing we liked about the paper we're referencing, which I'm a little nervous because I feel like I'm going to butcher, but that paper we're, we're working off of has the Ware Orenga framework which really in this paper draws from self-determination, government policy that supports Maori concepts of family and housing first. And that's really important because it really ties in the political relationship that our indigenous communities have here with the US. And in that paper, the, the political relationship they have to New Zealand. And so that is our argument here in Los Angeles County is that yes, equity is important. Yes, we need to uplift underserved communities, but you cannot just simply lump us with other communities as well, because there is this political relationship. In other words, this debt for the treaties that have been broken. And then that's how we should also be prioritized. And not only that, but taking a step further and you know, the community knows the best solutions for communities. So also instilling us with the resources needed to kind of enact those services. And that was one big pillar of our paper and results. We're still working on the manuscript. So that's an important piece that we're carving out there. But the other part is really culturally, you know, what does it mean to experience homelessness? Because in our community, we found that a lot of people really didn't identify that way. You know, if you're staying on an auntie's couch, because you're trying to get by and you're onto your next chapter, is that really experiencing homelessness or unstable housing? And in the Western lens, it is. But for us, you know, we really want to take care of our family. We have intergenerational households. We are in transition. We have just at a policy level historically and everything been a displaced people for hundreds of years now. And this is also part of that, you know, systemic racism that happens in displacing our people. So fortunately, you know, it is just something we've had to adapt to for generations. And so really hearing those stories and shedding that light on that was really important because we do feel we are very undercounted too, you know, when they do the homelessness counts each year for our communities. So those are kind of the two main hallmarks. And then the third, of course, is housing first. And that's just, you know, also kind of in the general population here is a lot more talk about that as well, especially, you know, when it comes to the very sometimes restrictive ways of accessing services that are tied to sobriety. It does make it hard because there's a lot of comorbidities that go on. And, you know, sometimes or most times, I'm sure housing is going to help that path forward. So housing first is really important. So yeah, that's what we're developing right now. Hopefully we'll, we'll submit in the next couple of months. Excellent. And that is so exciting. And I'm curious if Chrissy or Angelique, if you have any thoughts or perspectives about Maori frameworks being used in California, I mean, obviously not to group people together. I mean, the experiences will be different, but how does it feel and what are your perspectives on its use here? Yeah, kia ora and um, kia ora Cynthia for sharing. It sounds really exciting, the research that you've been doing and listening to you. I can see there's so many synergies with what our approach is here as well. So I think there's definitely synergies across Indigenous communities. And really what I 
kind of get the sense is what we call a whānau order approach, which is really focused on improving the well-being of collectives and this collective responsibility where we empower people as a whole rather than focusing on individuals and individual issues. And it's about recognising that a whānau or Indigenous people, we have the inherent capacity to learn, to grow and to transform. And we have our ability to address the strengths and aspirations around what we want rather than focusing on deficits. So it's really focusing on tino ranga teratanga and self-determination, which is recognising that whānau have the ability to define their own problems and the aptitude to devise strategies and solutions to resolve them. So like you say, this idea about homelessness from a Western perspective, that might be homelessness, but for us actually hanging out with our whānau and spending time with our whānau is a really richly rewarding experience. And so we wouldn't call that homelessness. And so I can see so many synergies about being able to draw on each other's research. So it's really exciting to have this platform to be able to share. Kia ora. Kia ora, Cynthia. I can see, you know, you've obviously been able to see some of those, you know, it's kind of brought to light some of those shared Indigenous experiences globally. And I think it's really important to do that co-design really in concepts and definitions, making sure that our definitions of things like homelessness fit the context within what we're working in. So, you know, what does homelessness look like in our own communities? So in New Zealand, we did a lot of work around our own definition of homelessness, which varied a lot, actually, probably quite similar to what you're talking about in terms of our homeless population we define as living in severely inadequate housing and having a lack of access to housing that meets the minimum adequacy standard. So what we also see in New Zealand is that it's a small proportion of what we define as homelessness being without shelter, so rough sleepers, and a bigger proportion of our homeless population are living in temporary accommodation like shelters or refuges, temporary accommodation like camping grounds or motor camps, boarding houses, marae and things like that. And then another group which is living in shared accommodation. So usually those would be a temporary resident in a severely crowded private dwelling. So Similar, I guess, in terms of lots of sharing housing and then what are the impacts? Like there are some positive impacts in terms of being close to family and whānau, like Angelique said, but that can have negative impacts on people's health and well-being as well. Also, as an aside, Cynthia, I can probably hook you up with some of those researchers that have done some of that work if you need a introduction yeah <laughs> definitely I was gonna ask after for that paper you're mentioning because I think it is so important even for this paper I'm going to bring it back to Dr. Garcia to talk about you know how do we define homelessness and I'm glad that she had the insight when she was writing the interview guide the first question is how do you define homelessness and, and do you identify as that and so that's where we started getting you know these very diverse answers which I don't think we initially anticipated (laughs) the spectrum that we got, but it was really good. And I think that should be a key in our results. And how is our community defining homelessness? And I think it can also bring us back to looking at some of those wider structural or system things that are going on in the housing system around, you know, is there 
accessibility to appropriate housing? Is our housing affordable? Does our housing stock meet the needs of our families as well? Right, and I think the other part too, we mentioned in our papers, it's just the idea of racial enclaves. So, you know, you have Koreatown here in LA or Little Italy, you know, East LA is predominantly Latinos. And so there's kind of a home base where folks can go to, but systemically here, especially with the Relocation Act of 1956, they gave natives quote unquote chance to come out to the city, build this new life and career. But what they actually did was they gave folks one-way tickets and strategically displaced us in different areas of these cities that were welcoming folks or having folks come in. And that was strategic so that we couldn't build a neighborhood, you know, so that we don't have this enclave. And so I know that that's harder for folks to navigate too, especially when they come out without social systems or social support systems. So navigating that has been challenging, but we definitely uplift that too. Excellent. And there's so much to unpack there. And really interesting work. And I love how you mentioned that the first question is how do you define homelessness? Because as we continue to decolonize our research and think about new ways of understanding, I think it's so important, as you said, the community knows how to help the community. And so going right back to them from the beginning, I think is a really smart approach. And as we broaden back out and think about the collection and how these fit in, I want to end our episode with learning more about this year's Native and Indigenous Voices collection. And Christine Angelique, your paper is featured as well as a classic from HUP's early days entitled The R Word in Indian Country, Culturally Appropriate Tobacco Use Research Strategies by Joyce Overly and Jacqueline Macedo. So what else can we find in the collection? This year's Native and Indigenous Voices Collection is going to include a paper from Rebecca Britt and colleagues about sharing hope and healing program, which is a culturally tailored social media campaign to provide living kidney donation and transplants among Native Americans. There's also a great paper from a couple of years ago by Sandra Young, Norma Gomez and Annette Maxwell titled Providing Health Education to Mish Tech Farm Workers in California via Workshops and Radio. And it's a study that describes the feasibility of using public radio to engage an Indigenous community that doesn't have access to news and information channels or social media, but they do listen to the radio. So a really great research project here. And a brand new paper just published by Katie Quaver and colleagues entitled Culturally Relevant Online Cancer Education Supports Tribal Primary Healthcare Providers to Reduce Their Cancer Risk and Share Information About Cancer. So in 2014 to 2019, a team based at the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium developed, implemented and evaluated culturally relevant online cancer education modules with and for Alaska's tribal primary care providers. So this paper really highlights that growing capacity to share knowledge wider, how change and growth can spread positively through communities. And of course, there's also the 2020 paper of the year by Native American youth citizen scientists uncovering community health and food security priorities, which is a wonderful study conducted with youth from the Kirk tribe of Northern California and I love this paper, and I had such a great time interviewing Dr. Catherine Kim, Ashley Michael, and Lisa Moorhead-Hillman for an episode released in April of 2020. And as the paper of the year, we have 
quite a bit of supporting content available on the HPP website for those who want more to learn about the authors, the project, and citizen science. So for this collection, Cynthia, how can listeners find the 2021 Native and Indigenous Voices Collection? So you can just go to the HPP website and click the link on the homepage. The papers in the collection are open to everyone to read and download through November 30th. And you'll also find a reading list there of all of HPP's papers from the Native and Indigenous communities and authors. I'm really proud to see all of it in one place like that. It's a great list of exciting and important research done in our communities, led by our communities. Excellent. And Cynthia, I want to mention that your paper on tobacco marketing on tribal lands featured in last year's collection is also permanently open and available for all to read as part of HVP's tobacco and health equity open access issue from 2020. So these will be available for everyone to read and enjoy and be inspired by for free outside of the paywall, which is very, very exciting. So as we close, I just wanted to open the floor one more time and see if anyone else had any last thoughts or parting perspectives before we close out. I love the corridor. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, I'm so happy and honored to share the space with you all. Thank you so much for tuning in from on the other side of the world. We're so excited <laughs> to broaden our collection and podcast in a more global perspective. Yeah, kia ora. Um, it is fantastic to be able to come together and it's really exciting and inspiring to see all of this work that's happening at a global level. So I think it's just been really exciting to come together and just realise what a great network we have and how we can be strengthened by each other as well. So kia ora and thank you for the opportunity. Of course, and thank you three for sharing space and time with me today. I really appreciate it from across the globe. I'm really excited for this collection to come out and thank you so much for your work on the topic. So thank you all so much for your time today and have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.